This the remix. Started off with Tyler Bischoff on ESPN Radio. They eat, sleep, and breathe basketball, and diving for loose balls is, is really important to them. The Las Vegas Journal Review. I really haven't been this excited and uh, to go forward professionally since probably the summer of 2006 when, when I came up to Vegas initially uh, to play as a running rebel and for this historic and storied program here at UNLV. And, uh, and, and going forward with that same mentality, that same approach, and, and the same chip on our shoulder that we had during that summer to go into the season in the fall for workouts is, is the same approach that we're going to take going forward uh, as a staff and as a team here for UNLP. And Lon Kruger erupts. <laughs> I love you. I love this guy. Shove it in. Kevin Kruger is the new head coach of the UNLV Running Rebels. We had him on the show earlier today at 7.30. If you missed that, it'll be on the podcast a little bit later today, lvsportsnetwork.com. Uh, if you want to check out our conversation with Kevin Kruger. Now, yesterday, uh, UNLV introduced Kevin Kruger. Uh, he talked to the media. Desiree Reed-Francois, the athletic director, did not take questions from the media. She talked for a couple of minutes before introducing Kevin Kruger. Um, I- I'm curious, did you take anything away from what Desiree Reed-Francois had to say yesterday? I mean, when we heard it, are you talking? Yeah, I mean, Ed dropped out. Okay, oh, okay. sorry. Ed's still there. <laughs> no, I'm here. I'm here. I mean, I, I went, went, he he went in there, so I, you know, uh, waited for him. Um, no, I mean, look, she said what we thought she was going to say. This is her hire. She's going to stand up there. She's going to believe in her hire. She should. Um, she believes this is the right guy to get them back to winning, as she said, the right way towards the NCAA tournament. I think it's important for her. If you go through every one of her hires, this is a very consistent theme that. She wants people to, uh, you know, not only win, but think of them as student athletes, treat them a certain way. So everything she said yesterday is kind of some of the same things we've heard, whether it be with Arroyo or TJ or whoever. This is kind of her basis of, of hires and what she believes in. So nothing she said surprised me. I don't know about you. I didn't I wasn't surprised at any of it. I was a little little smiling uh, when Kevin also said dive on the uh, dive on the floor. So I don't know if they're going to be any good, but it seems this program has more kids to dive on the floor than anyone in the country. So you you hit on there that the, one of the biggest takeaways I had was uh, wanting a coach not only that's going to win, but that's going to treat these players the right way, treat the student athletes right. the right way. Because what, what honestly, I, I think two things here happen. I think the Desiree Francois, I, th- I think it was a priority when she was looking for the next coach that it was going to be somebody that wanted to be at UNLV and didn't have a dream job in the Big 12. Because I, I do think part of this was to avoid another Chris Beard or TJ Otzelberger situation where you lose a coach, not because of his success, but simply because he has a dream job and that job came open. So I, I think that was actually a priority when she did this. Um, and then the other part I took away was from her talking and what we know about her, because she talks about it all the time, student athlete welfare and treating them right. And what Kevin Kruger said yesterday, I think they sort of are aligned of those values. I think they sort of view that in the same exact way of how they should be treating the kids, what's important. You know, Kevin Kruger mentioned graduating kids yesterday, mentioned making their degree worth something. And Desiree Francois loves to talk about graduation rates, loves to talk about grades, because 
since she's been the AD, their grades in like, I think every sport pretty much have like gone up. They've gotten better as terms of APR and what their kids GPAs are. And I think Kevin Kruger, like he sort he, like I asked him when we had him on, how'd you sell yourself? He didn't really give us a great answer, but if I had to guess, I think that's a big reason how he probably sold himself was on the student athlete welfare and how they want to take care of them, how they want to treat the players at UNLV. And that's what Desiree Francois likes. And if you ignore all the basketball side of it, I think they're locked into the same exact message and the same ideals. Oh, I don't think there's any question about that. Now, this is the, I'm not going to say it's the problem with it, but this is the very important other side of that. As he talked about making this team a part of the city, that this is Las Vegas's team, that he wants a Thomas and Mac pack, that's all great. And the other stuff with Desiree is really good about graduating kids and everything like that. But the other side is win them. Because if you don't win, they're not coming back. You could have the greatest kids in the world, and they're all graduating, that's fine. But this fan base is so apathetic right now towards that program that until he wins, all that other stuff is great for the, you know, I guess the strength and the overall, you know, uh, sphere of your program. You're graduating kids, they're having good experiences, that's great. But you can't then talk about also on the other side, hey, it's going to be the city's team, and we're going to get the MAC back. You're going to get the MAC back one way, and that's you're going to win games. And you're going to contend in that league, and you're going to contend for NSA tournament bursts. You Can you have it both? Yes, they've had it both in the past. They had it both with his father. But there are two sides of this, and I completely agree with what you're saying on Desiree and Kevin being on the same page there. But if you're talking about the fans part, yeah, they might say, hey, it's good that we graduate kids. Now how many did we win last year? That's just the reality of it. It's, He's got to win. It's the uh, the difference of priorities between the fan base and between oh, Desiree and absolutely. Francois. Where yes. yeah. the, the fan base for the most part, doesn't care if the team has a 2.5 no. or a 3.5 cumulative no. GPA. Right, That's they, every, they, every most of them. Yeah, most every them. fan is taking the 2.5 GPA with a Sweet 16 run over the 3.5 GPA yes. with I no take a 1.5. Yeah, well, then you're on probation. If you don't <laughs> then then, then half, your, so, half your team you got yeah. you gotta have so, you gotta, you gotta. I think it's 2.0. I think you got to get at least a little bit higher than 1.5. <laughs> Enroll them in but, some paper classes. <laughs> it'll be fine. But that that's what the fan base cares about. But Desiree Francois, and I mean, I'm sure all athletic directors do to some degree. I don't know which ones think it's the most important, but... Desiree and Francois views grades and views student-athlete welfare as one of, if not the highest priority of her program. And that's sort of where the, the difference is between priorities of the athletic director and the actual fan base. And that can cause some problems because the fan base is going to yell and say, hey, why the hell aren't we winning? When Desiree right. Francois says, well, hey, we've had success in off-court issues or off, not issues, but off-court uh, scenarios. And that's important to her, but not important to the fan base. No, I mean, that's... that's... That's everyone except maybe some, you know, very, you know, academic institutions or whatever. I mean, but still, that's going to be most every place you go. The fans want to win, and the fans want to win here. And do I think? Yes, and I wrote it today. Look, there are other options now for discretionary income. I get that. But let's be honest. The NHL and the NFL, those cost a lot of money to go to those games. So I have no doubt that if he wins to the point where they're contending for the league and going to the tournament, fans will actually come back. It's affordable. This is a basketball town. They love that program. But they're not coming back because you're graduating kids. That's not happening. So now if you, you, you do it all. Like I said, I think his father graduated kids and they wanted a high level. It can be done. So we're just going to have to sit and wait and, and see how it transpires. I have no doubt that the UNLV fan base will come back when they're actually NCAA tournament level. Yes, absolutely. And 
Yes. The, the best evidence is every time there's a coaching search, UNLV fans are as active and as involved in the process as yeah. they've ever been. Like over the last five years, there's been there's been a hundred <laughs> coaching searches, but during those coaching <laughs> yeah, searches, that's not great. the fans are the fans are all in on giving their opinion who they should be who they think should be the coach, who shouldn't be, why it's a bad hire, why it's a good hire. Now, when the games come around and they're not anywhere near the NCAA tournament, people don't really care too much. But I have no doubt, based on coaching searches, that a lot of people still care about this program. And as soon as there's winning, they're back. They're going to be back. They're going to show back up. It's just you, you got to do that at some point. And it's been a long I mean, time since UNLV's been even close. You had uh, what you had. You had a um, poll out the other day. I think. Do you like the hire? What I think it was pushing on a thousand replies, and we open up the phone calls. We automatically get calls. I mean. People want them to be good again, and they haven't been good in a long time. So I, I'm right there with you. I absolutely think I, – I can't tell you how many texts I got when he was named the coach from people I know who are season ticket holders. Some still go to games. Some don't. I mean, with COVID, obviously nobody went to games, so it's been a while. But every one of them, what do you think? It's a good hire? You know, can he win? Can he do this? I mean, there's genuine interest in this program, but you have to win. You cannot finish seventh in the Mountain West. And expect anyone in this town to go watch those games. That's not this town. This town wants that program to win. And you're exactly right. When they do again, if they do again, the fans will come back. It will be a very easy sell if he wins to get fans back. They will have they might have problems out there, but they're not going to have problems getting people back if they're going to the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pe- people absolutely care about this program. Like, I, like I, I think you can make the opposite argument for UNLV football. I don't know that people care enough about that program that if they are, you know, pushing a bowl game that they're going right, to have significant right. attendance boosts. But for the basketball program, people care about it. And if they are NCAA tournament bound, like people are going to show up. And if they can put together back-to-back seasons of making the NCAA tournament, like that next year, it, the, the attendance is going to be back to a, a nearly full Thomas yeah. and Mac because – the NCAA tournament is the goal, and if you can make it, if you can get there, people are going to care. People are going to care about your program. You're going to be relevant here again. You're not going to you're not going to surpass the Raiders. You're not going to surpass the no. Golden Knights. I mean, that's that's the reality of where UNLV is. But you you can still survive. You can still thrive as a uh, Mountain West program, being the third biggest option for sports in this town. That is yeah. certainly possible for UNLV basketball. You absolutely can, and let's just take the Knights. That's a great example by you because it's expensive, but I think the Knights have a ton of fans. I mean, I'm married to one who doesn't go to games but never misses never misses a game on TV, right? So there's that she wouldn't fit in this in, in this box because she didn't go to UNLV basketball games. But what I will say is I guarantee there's a section of fans who maybe they don't go to Knights games or can't afford to go to Knights games. But let's say in the last three or four years, Tyler, there was a UNLV Fresno State game at Thomas Mack or – Guess what? The Knights run. I'm staying home and watching the Knights. Oh, like, yeah. and I think, oh, yeah. and I think if you're winning again, going to the NCAA tournament, that person is like, you know what? I'm going to go watch the Rebels, and that's a big faction. You have your diehards that might always be there, but you got to get into that next faction where they have dis- they have found other things to do because you haven't been any good. If you're good, then it's an easy decision for them to come back. Yeah, and it, and it goes back to what I've been saying. My expectations are for the team is. It's not that I think they need to make the NCAA tournament next year. It's that I think they need to be playing like on the bubble because right. like when UNLV plays Fresno State in February, UNLV's already out of the NCAA tournament. You and like the game yeah. means nothing. I mean, sure, Mountain West standings, but the game doesn't mean anything. If UNLV's on the bubble, even if they're on the outside and don't actually get in, but if they're on the bubble, 
okay, they're playing Fresno State. We know what their net ranking is. We know what it means if they lose this game, right? Or when you play Colorado State. All right, both these teams are on the bubble. This is a massive game. The winner's going to have a chance to get in, and the loser might be out. Like, when you actually have stakes for the NCAA tournament, that'll get people to show up. Whereas if you're deciding between going to UNLV Fresno State battling for seventh in the Mountain West versus staying home and watching the best team in the Honda West division, you're staying home to watch the best team in the Honda West division. It's just and, it's what you're going to do. No, and I, you're exactly right. They need to be, next year, huge success if they're Colorado State of this year or even Boise of this year. That yep. you're being talked about all the way through when your conference tournament ends. And you know what? If you lose in the first round, ah, they're on the bubble. They're not going to get in. But they'll go to the NIT or something like that. They're in the conversation. Yeah. If they're, if they're the four seed in the Mountain West tournament and they're, you know, on the bubble and it's, eh, they're not getting in. Like that would be a tremendous season for UNLV if they're able to do that. I don't know if they're going to be able to because, well, we don't know what the hell the roster looks like next year. And that's going to be the biggest deciding factor. So we won't really know. Kevin Kruger came on here telling us he's got to be patient. I don't want patience, Kevin. We want answers now. Who's on the <laughs> roster? <laughs> you Let's want three-pointers and no patience. That's right. Three-pointers, <laughs> layups, and no patience. That's Seven seconds or less. <laughs> Just jack up a three. I'm gonna. I gotta compose an email and send it to Kevin Kruger. Yes. My yes. Ideas. Oh my God! If Tyler gets hired as like a consultant on analytics, oh, oh God, it. it's oh. gonna be. Oh, oh God. Well, I was talking to Kevin the other day, and uh, he said I had a great idea about six seconds or less. Oh, right. Geez. That is a good idea, Jared. Six seconds or less is great. All right. Coming up if, next- he gives, if he gives Bishop any kind of credit, now that's the day I want the Zoom not to work. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have that day. No, no. We need that sound. So Jared can play it every single day till the end of time. All right. Coming up next, we're going to jump into Bischoff's briefs and Kenyon Drake signing with the Raiders to play wide receiver. <sighs> Bischoff's briefs. We we take a lot of pride in being very analytical here. Um, we use a lot of statistical data, tendencies. Bischoff's briefs. Got a lot of respect for the percentages of blitz on second and one to six, third and five to ten. Bischoff's briefs. We take analytics as far as we can, but at the end of the day, there's still a lot of human error that I continually make. Bischoff's briefs. I don't believe any of those statistics. I think it's all hogwash. So Kenyon Drake has signed with the Raiders a two-year deal where he is guaranteed $11 million. Kenyon Drake talked to the media over the weekend, though, and he told the media that John Gruden intends to use him as a wide receiver. Uh, which would be interesting. I'm, I'm curious what he means exactly what? by wide receiver, because <laughs> obviously running backs are involved in the passing game a lot more in the NFL. But like, does he mean he's lining up as like a slot receiver? Uh, I don't know, 50% of his snaps or something like that. So I'm curious what he means exactly by use as a wide receiver versus use as a pass catching running back, because those can be conflated, even though they're two different things. Now, if we look at Kenyon Drake, Last year, he only had 25 catches for 137 yards. Uh, He wasn't exactly a great 
pass catching back last season. If you go back to 2018 when he was in Miami, he did have 477 receiving yards over the course of that season. So he has had some good seasons as far as receiving goes, but last year he did not have that. And pro football focus grades running backs on their receiving. He was the 10th worst receiving running back last year according to Pro Football Focus. His teammate, Chase Edmonds, was actually seventh best in the NFL last year. So I don't even know if the Raiders got the best pass-catching running back from Arizona uh, this past season that they might be trying to turn into a wide receiver. Also, on the idea of paying um, Chase, or not Chase Edmonds, paying Kenyon Drake, money to come here and be a running back slash wide receiver. They're giving him two years, 11 million guaranteed. Mike Davis, who just filled in for basically the entire season in Carolina for Christian McCaffrey, signed a two-year deal this morning with the Falcons for five and a half million dollars. So half of what Kenyon Drake is getting. Uh, Mike Davis last year, top 15, according to Pro Football Focus, among receiving running backs. So the Raiders could have had a better receiving running back for half the price than Kenyon Drake, but they went out and got Kenyon Drake for $11 million guaranteed over two seasons. So I'm very curious what he means exactly by using him as a wide receiver. I'm also very curious if Kenyon Drake is the best player to use as a wide receiver when he is a running back instead. Also, all of this to me is reminding of Lynn Bowden, who the Raiders drafted. He played quarterback, running back, wide receiver at Kentucky. The Raiders were like, yeah, let's make him a running back and we'll use him as the joker. He'll line up in the slot sometimes too. Earlier this month, Mike Mayock said this about Lynn Bowden. If you look back at it and you think, should you be picking guys that perhaps were a projection from one position to another? You know, we took Bowden in the third round and ended up trading him to Miami before the season started. He was a college slot receiver and quarterback, and we tried to move him to running back in a pandemic year. And to be honest with you, I don't think it was fair to the kid. Now, this year's offseason should probably, we assume, be better in terms of NFL teams being able to work out, but they just made a mistake by trying to change a guy's position in an offseason that wasn't normal, and now going into another offseason that probably won't be normal, they're trying to change Kenyon Drake's position again? Like, they just messed it up last year. Why do they think it's going to work this year? bunch of hogwash uh what you're saying here um they've got a plan i believe in the plan um i i don't know i mean you started off with a question that i don't think either of us can answer in terms of him being wide receiver um you you know your briefs in the last several weeks have got me thinking about you know what they do financially are they really up on what the standards are in the leagues in terms of contracts we talked about you know giving james a, a, a you know, multiple of your duties and RFA next year. Now Kenyon Drake, they bring him on. You could have gotten others for less money. Now he's going to be wide receiver. So it makes for really good offseason kind of Twitter world because Raider fans are going to agree with everything they do. But it also makes it fascinating and to see, you know, you almost want training camp to get here to say, okay, what does this all mean? You're not really going to do that, are you? Um, and we'll have to see. So I, you know, Kenyon Drake is wide receiver. I, I guess, you know, maybe packages he could be a wide receiver. I just, I don't see everything that they see in terms of giving him that kind of money to bring him in. Maybe I'm wrong, and I'll be proven wrong. Yeah, and, and I'll say this. On the idea of, of Kenyon Drake being used as a wide receiver, the, the thought process there is actually good because 
the running backs that give you value, like right now we're in the NFL, you shouldn't be paying your running backs. But the running backs that give you value are the ones that make a difference in the passing game. It's yeah. it's Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey, Alvin, yeah. Com- it's Alvin Kamara. Yeah. Those are the ones you, yeah. you should consider paying because they give you a little added value than just, hey, that's a guy that runs and, and anybody can do that at the same level in the NFL. So the, the idea behind signing Drake and using him as a wide receiver or just simply using him more in the passing game, whatever that ends up meaning, that, that that thought process is actually good. Like that's what you should be looking for if you're going to go and sign a running back is you should be trying to find that. But again, I'm not sure how much they're actually going to use him, and I'm not sure that Drake is the best option to do that. Well, but the bigger issue is is that they have Josh Jacobs, right? And Josh Jacobs, you could use him that way, but for whatever reason, they don't really let Jacobs be a big part of the passing game, right? They 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 use him as a runner. But they don't really throw to him, even though coming out of college, Josh Jacobs was viewed as, hey, this is a guy that can do it all. This is a guy you can throw to out of the backfield. And the Raiders, they, they haven't used him a lot in those situations. So if you were if they didn't have Jacobs and they signed Kenyon Drake, I think this signing, he might be a little bit of, ah, oh, you're paying a running back. But it would still be fine because, hey, you need a running back. And that Kenyon Drake, if you're going to use him that way, it could have a lot of value. But because they have Jacobs, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, what was Jacobs' number last year? Sixty on his uh, on his catches that he said the at the beginning of the year he wanted to have. Yeah, it was 60. yeah, I think it was sixty. Okay, well, so maybe now we know why they got Kenyon Drake. I, you know, I, I mean, you know, I mean, you look, it's great to have goals and everything like that. But you almost wonder in that sense when he says that, like, is he on the same page with them? Like, does he think? He should be much more active in the passing. I would, I would think, being an NFL player, he does. I think you would think that he should be active in all facets of the offense, given he's the lead back. But um, that hasn't come to fruition. So I'm wondering if there's a disconnect there, or they believe that they don't need to throw to the running back that much, and or or they they felt they needed someone better in that sense. Is why they got Kenyon Drake. Yeah, and I, I'm I again, I'm curious to see how they actually use Drake because like, are they genuinely going to line him up? as a slot receiver or something on a significant amount of his snaps, because that would be, that would be fascinating because a, you have Hunter Renfro as your number one slot receiver right now. And I imagine he's going to be better than Kenyon Drake, but it would also give you a chance to put Kenyon Drake and Josh Jacobs on the field together. And that, that increases Kenyon Drake's value. If you like, if he's just a backup running back, it's a massive overpay. But if you know, Hey, you can put him on the field at the same time as Josh Jacobs that increases his value. So I'm curious to see how they actually use him because there can be some added value here. They can actually make this a pretty solid signing if yep. they use him a lot in the passing game. I just I question what they're going to do, and I question if Kenyon Drake, if that was the goal, if Kenyon Drake was the right guy to sign for that because his track record suggests he's not the best receiving running back they could right. have. So give me a give me if Josh Jacobs said sixty and now you know who the Joker is, give me your Tyler Bischoff preseason number of receptions over under for Kenyon Drake. Oh, for Drake. Oh, that's a yeah. Tough for, one. Not not. Well, I mean, Josh Jacobs is gonna probably come in and say I'm gonna catch eighty this year. So put him aside. Uh, Kenyon so, Drake is the Joker. Man, I I've got a feeling that John Gruden is going to try to force the ball into Kenyon Drake's hands at least a few times this season. So to, we'll say to, to justify the money. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So we'll say, <laughs> ooh, Gee. that's a good question. Kenyon Drake. I'm thinking 
three receptions a game as a solid base there, which would put okay. you. So let let's just say let's just say uh, fifty point five receptions is the number. All right, I'm going to go under. You're going to go under fifty <laughs> it was, and a half. Receptions. You might as well have given me an NSA tournament first half line. I'm going under immediately, <laughs> except Oregon against Iowa. Yes, so, except Oregon. <laughs> except Oregon against Iowa. Uh, so I will go under. Well, let's, this is the Tyler Bischoff. We should do this before the season starts. We'll just you come up with a number. Let's start this off. I'll write down Kenyon Drake receptions, and we'll do it fifty point five. And I'll I'll choose each way. And this one I'll go under on. He'll okay. lean each way. He's not allowed lean. to give out. <laughs> oh, that's right. Wait a minute. I'm leaning towards the under. We'll also have Josh Jacobs give his own numbers so we can all yes. go under. And get, yes, uh, 76. Way under. <laughs> <laughs> all right, coming up next, Mike Gravala joins the show. I don't believe any of those statistics. I think it's all hogwash. You look great tonight, too. I don't know if you have a GQ photo shoot or something. But you look awesome. Hair looks great, too. It's combed over. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now is Mike Gramala from the Las Vegas Sun. Mike, are you going to miss the GQ compliments from TJ Otzelberger? Oh, we have to wait and see how often and uh, Kevin Kruger compliments me on, you know, my suit and my hair. So uh, we'll see. Oh, so the, jur- the jury is out is what you're saying on if Kevin Kruger can upstage Otzelberger's compliments. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll have to see if he's a a generous guy when it when it comes to that. <laughs> All right, so let me ask you this: Why do you think Desiree Reed Francois hired Kevin Kruger? I think it was she's been up close with him for the past two years. She liked what she saw. Um, there probably no candidate emerged that was really more intriguing to her during the process. And I do believe that at the time that Otzelberger in put that initial staff together at UNLV, I think there was some thought at the time that like, if things go right, this Kevin Kruger is, you know, not a head coach in waiting, but this is a guy who is clearly, we think he's a head coach in the future. Let's get him in here and, you know, see, let's work with him up close. This will be like a, a multi-year job interview for him. Let's see if that fit becomes um, something that we want to do eventually down the line. So I think there was some looking ahead with that when he was brought in on the staff, and I think she probably just liked him more than any other candidate. Do you believe um, – look, I mean, everyone talked about these Oscars Iowa State several, several weeks ago, the fans on Twitter, all of that. Uh, so she had to have some sense at that point. I might assume, my assumption is she probably asked him about it, as she should have. But it was a quick turnaround, as people thought, because of the portable, and you got to get your coach now. So tell me how many serious candidates for this job you truly believe there were. You know, it's it's tough to to say because they didn't do it the way that they uh, the way that she normally does with the, the search firm and the the long process. I had only heard uh, a couple of names, only one that I felt good about uh, reporting. I think she was interested in Randy Bennett from St. Mary's. Um, but beyond that, I don't know how expansive of a search it was. I think they liked what they had in Kevin Kruger. And, you know, it may have been a situation where, like, you know, we like Kevin Kruger for this job, but we understand he's young. Um, we understand he's this will be his first head coaching job anywhere. Maybe let's bring in some outside candidates to see if 
you know, to see if they can talk us out of this. And maybe just no one did during the process. You know, I think it was probably we like Kevin. That's what we want to do. But let's see if, you know, anyone else out there can convince us to go in another direction. And when it was all said and done, they felt good about going with Kevin Kruger. I, I like the idea here of uh, interviewing Randy Bennett and the only question being, now, why are you better than Kevin Kruger? Yeah. <laughs> 600 wins, seven NCAA tournaments, yeah. yeah. Tell us why we shouldn't do this. Um, all right, uh, so on good. Kevin Kruger and this program, because there is going to be, at least we assume there will be, a, more continuity than usual when there is a coaching change, and because next year we were talking about Otzelberger was going to need to put together a competitive Mountain West team that could at least be on the NCAA tournament bubble – uh, what do you think expectations should be for Kevin Kruger as far as timeline and NCAA tournament? I, uh, assuming he can coach, the timeline is that you're not behind the timeline that Otzelberger had, um, that Otzelberger was going to be on had he stayed at UNLV. Like the same pro, the same issues, the same base. Like every Kruger inherits that. He's not behind the curve at all. Like he can pick up mostly with their recruiting. Like some of the guys they were going after. Um, Milos Uzan, like though he, Kruger was involved in that. Like they can still go after those guys. He can still try to convince, you know, Arthur Kaluma to come to UNLV. Um, that was something, you know, they were after the, the Zayon Collins thing, you know, they were still going to have to convince him to come. And so like, they're not that far, they're not behind the, the track that they would have been on anyway. So you're, you're good in that sense. Um, it's just now the, the thing that may change is some of the guys also wanted to bring in on the transfer market you know, Kevin Kruger may have a different idea of how he wants to play, and he may target some different guys, but you're still doing the same thing. You're still, you know, you're going to try to convince the players you want to stay to remain at UNLV, and you're going to try and go out and get your um, three, four, five transfers to come in and, and fill the rest of the rotation. So you're not that far back. That's one of the good things that, you know, staying in-house does. It's not, it doesn't have to be a complete teardown, a complete rebuild, Um you, you pretty much hit the ground running with Kevin Kruger. Okay, so we love percentages on this show. Bischoff's briefs and numbers. Uh, don't want to put you on the spot. Give me a percentage in this order on if they're on the roster next year. Kaluma, Hamilton, and um, David Jenkins. Kaluma, I would say 75. Hamilton, I would say 45. And Jenkins was the last guy? Yeah. Um, I would say Jenkins is probably fifty, and that's up okay. from that's probably up from a much lower percentage if TJ Otzelberger had stayed. <laughs> so you don't you don't okay. think David Jenkins is following Otzelberger to another school? No, I would I would bet everything <laughs> I have against that happening. But depending on what depending on what Kruger thinks of him, maybe the door is now open for him to to stay and come back for another year if he's if Jenkins is open to that. Hamilton at 45% surprises me a little. Yeah, that's another one where the percentage um, probably goes up with the, the coaching change. Wow. Um, okay. Although I don't know, you know, the, the we, we don't know anything about Kevin Kruger and how he wants to play and what kind of assistance he's going to hire. Um, but based on, you know, the season that they had last year and Otzelberger's relationship with those guys, I assumed both of them were gone. But now that Kruger's in there, maybe he wants to convince. Like the, I, I don't think Otzelberger was going to convince or try to convince Hamilton to stay. I don't think he was going to get down and say, like, hey, 
we can really boost your stock if you stay one more year, like believe in, I don't think he was going to do that. Maybe Kruger wants to do that. Maybe he likes Hamilton enough to, you know, want to pitch him on staying. So um, I think both of the Hamilton and Jenkins, the percentages both go up. So what are you trying well, to say? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, Mike, your NCAA tournament viewing setup, you tweeted it out. You had two TVs and a tablet of some sort to watch three games at one time. But I'm more curious about the box of Cheez-Its because you have told us in the past that you once ate half a box of Cheez-Its for lunch and the second half of the box for dinner. Is that box of Cheez-Its in your picture, your lunch and or dinner? No, the the one that was in that picture uh, is a was like a family-sized box. We're talking a massive amount of cheese. When I did the lunch dinner, thing, that was a that was a, a regular civilian-sized box. <laughs> civilian <laughs> size. What, are you going to war? Like, you're packing up in the, in the bunker yeah. with the Cheez-Its? Yeah, yeah so Cheez-Its are the original Jeez. MREs. But, <laughs> but the family size, I don't think, I, I, I'm still working on that box. Like, I have it out on the table right now. It's, uh, I, I don't think I could take that down in, in two meals, no. But you, you still haven't confirmed. Was that lunch and or dinner? Like, was that one of your meals for oh, the day? Was no, I, no, I, I did have something. I had a sandwich later in the day. Um, <laughs> but for those that, that first wave of games, it was just the Cheez-Its, soda, my three-game setup. Yeah, it was a good day. <laughs> uh, I can't believe Every- I'm going to come off the food, but I did want to ask you really quick because the food's the best. I want to ask you really quick because I'm interested. Uh, who stays on that staff and who goes? Do you have any idea who he, what he wants to do with the staff? I don't know. I, I don't know. He was asked about his staff uh, during his introductory press conference, and he was pretty you know, vague or, or noncommittal. Um, I don't know, you know who. Otzelberger kept the same staff for two consecutive years, which is pretty rare for UNLV these days. Um, but I, that was you know, Otzelberger and his guys. I don't know if what I mean, Kevin's relationship is to these assistants or if they you know even want to remain or if they think there's better opportunities out there so i don't know i mean is this a situation where you know lavin got gene Keaty, this guy got that that guy this that he would as a first-time head coach i don't know if it's jack murphy he worked with at nau i don't know that you would feel he might want an ex-coach on that bench that he knows personally and that maybe could bring him through something first head coaches need to know that's sort of the the, the blueprint that most young, you know, first-time head coaches go with, or you see Juwan Howard do it at Michigan. You bring in, you know, the, the older coach who's seen it all and can sort of help you and show you how a head coach is supposed to handle things. Um, so, that, yeah, that might be something that's on the uh, – that's part of the plan. I don't know. That may have been something he – I'm sure he talked about it with um, Desiree Reed-Francois when they, he interviewed for the job. Right. You know, they ask you, you know, what, what staff are you going to put together uh, and things like that, and maybe they want him to have a, a – an experienced coach like that next to him, maybe he wants it. So that'll be something that they'll have to settle in the coming weeks. I wouldn't expect it to take too long. As uh, USC goes to the Sweet 16 with the Mobley brothers, uh, can he just hire somebody's dad that has two really yes, good sons? Yes, who has players? I, they, with the money that UNLV got from that bio, they could hire a bunch of dads. <laughs> Let's extend <laughs> Right. Let's expand that coaching staff. You have your three official assistants, and then you can just fill that next row behind them. With fathers? Yeah, let's get 12 five-star dads on the the, the coaching staff special assistants. All right, let's go to the Sweet 16. 
It's going to be uh, Alabama football with seven offensive assistants yes. in the booth up there. Uh, That's going to be UNLV basketball. Well, he is Mike Gravala from the Las Vegas Sun. Uh, enjoy this upcoming weekend of college basketball and more Cheez-Its. Maybe you'll finish the family-sized box by then. Thanks, hope. Mike. Thank you, guys. Take care. Nice. <laughs> Can you imagine the only calls he's making is like, okay, that kid's a five-star. Does his dad have a job? No, call that guy. <laughs> no, does his we dad have a, lot of a better job? That's the yeah, thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Listen, listen, I have zero problem with no. that strategy in basketball. In fact, you should do it. I Not just do I not have a problem with it. I think I endorse that strategy because, again, USC's got a lottery pick on their team and another one yeah. and another brother that's really good for the college level, and they're in the Sweet 16. Like, when Marvin Menzies was here. See, Marvin kind of went about it the wrong way because Marvin went and got, like, the the brother, right? He got uh, Jay Green because Jay yes, Green's yeah. younger brother you don't want the, was, you don't want the brother lesser was a no, top-five recruit, right? He got a Maury right. Hardy. Now, Hardy was, is a worthwhile player, but he got a Maury Hardy because Hardy's younger brother was really good. Even with Brandon right. McCoy, they got um, – Anthony Smith, who was, like, not actually related, but Brandon McCoy referred to him as his brother. Like, Marvin Menzies was all about, okay, you've got a really good younger brother. Come to yeah. UNLV. you got to get the dad. you got to just go yes. all in, yeah. get the dad, give him a job on get, staff, and get the kid to. Hell, get the mom. Yes, get the mom, yeah, get I mean, the dad, I, whatever what it is. I Yes, we can we yeah. can hire both of them at the same time. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. And the people who make fun of it, just go to the NCAA tournament. You'll be the last one laughing. What do you care what people think? Just go get the best players. Who cares? Someone says, oh, you got the dad. Yeah, and you're in the Sweet 16. You want to trade? You, I mean, you think you think the Andy dad? Enfield's right now is like, man, I really shouldn't have hired that Mobley dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why did I do that as I prepare for the Sweet 16? Oh. Yes. Hire dads. It's the way to go. Or as Jared says, hire the moms. Maybe that's a maybe that's a better way to do it. You got to <laughs> see this. is This is where recruiting is important. You got to find out. Are they are they a mama's boy or are they or is it all oh, about yeah. that? Right. Because you got you got a mama's boy as a five star. You give the mom the job and that is yes. done deal. Absolutely done deal there. So. Jared's on to something here. you got to get deeper into this recruiting to find out more about the kids. All right, coming up next, I've got something fun for Ed. Oh, Ed. And I'm curious, how do you feel about the names Evan White, Jose Marmalejos and Mitch Haniger. Go on. <laughs> because those three took Trevor Bauer yeah. deep yesterday. Yeah. 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 Trevor Bauer did. gave up three home runs to the Mariners in four and a third innings pitched, six hits, five earned runs, and again, Evan White, Jose Marmalejos, and Mitch Haniger took him deep. Stretched the kid a bit too much. He was throwing a shutout through four. Uh, and then he closed both Trevor eyes and gave up. four. He had a shutout through four. And then they, it, 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 Roberts, obviously, again, with the bad pitching decisions. Kids, kid went into the fifth inning. He's, he's blowing him away, dominating. He said, let me pitch with both eyes closed. And then they started taking him deep. And they had to take the poor kid out of the game. Spring training. Was he throwing with his eyes open, you think? Well, hopefully not in the fifth. If he's thrown in the fifth when they scored five, I hope he. I hope his eyes won't open then. But uh, Trevor Bauer's the out sport. here. 
pretending he can pitch with one eye closed. He yes, has one good yes. inning, and then he does it again and plunks <laughs> a kid. And then he goes up against the Mariners. Listen, Ed, Trevor Bauer was afraid of the AL West. The Houston Astros obviously play in the best oh, division okay. in baseball, and All Trevor right. Bauer's ERA would be like 17 if he had to play the Mariners uh, 15 times a year. Is it? Is it completely outrageous to think, right when you said, I'm going to come back, I got something good for Ed. I knew exactly what you were talking about. <laughs> like, it could have been anything that we've talked about the last few days. And right there, I'm like, he saw Bauer's line from yesterday. Oh, of course oh, it was Trevor God. Bauer. Are you kidding me? Oh. Every time Trevor Bauer gives up a run, I'm going to let you know. <laughs> this is, oh. Thank God we don't have any more menus, because this would be a daily uh, menu item. <laughs> hey, no more menus hey. around here. To the people of Las Vegas, if you'd like to bring back the menus, they are for sale. <laughs> well, we're getting paid. Bring them back. If you would like to uh, sponsor Trevor Bauer Gets Rocked weekly yeah, yeah. on the press box, I'm we not are worried. open to it. If I'm you would like to sponsor a weekly like uh, spot with the Padres manager. <laughs> <laughs> Fernando yeah, Tatis will join us every Tuesday. Uh, how about that? Oh, Fernando Tatis, and for some reason, Tyler said, I need to take this segment off. And walks away, and I'm just sitting there staring <laughs> at my screen saying, who am I asking this guy? Uh, I feel so like getting swept last uh, year, Fernando. Uh, don't you wish you were a Dodger? <laughs> uh, oh, I, knew, I knew that was coming. Ellie May knew that was coming. She's not happy with you either. She's her barking. So, yeah, that's fine. Keep at it. We're well, What are we? It's I think opening day is April 1st. So you got about a week more to take your shots in, and then we're going to get serious, and things are going to be real, and we'll just move forward. Well, Man, he's it. not your opening day pitcher, as you keep saying. He's like the no, number... he is. The, yeah, that's the other thing. That's the the thing. It's easy six. to rip on the number three guy. Yeah, he's easy to rip on the number three guy. guy. Listen to Come you. On. Listen to you. <laughs> I can't wait for Bauer to give up back-to-back jacks in his first start of the season. Well, gonna be you know phenomenal. what is really scary about this that I will never hear the end of it from you two, Jamokes is that they open up in Colorado. Oh, so, oh, I mean, those, those those things could be like, and we're 0-3, what do you think? Because they've given up 14 runs in three days. Like, oh. that's the worst place. I looked at it and said, oh, for those two guys, the one place, don't open up, and there it is, oh, Kershaw right. in Colorado. Oh. Okay, Tyler, prepare. Is Kershaw done for April, <laughs> April 2nd? All right, I'll put it. I'll put it in the rundown for eight seconds <laughs> yes. already. It's Kershaw done. Oh, oh man, listen, Trevor Bauer. He's not going to give up home runs in Colorado. He's going to give up triples. He's going to have a game where he gives up like seven triples in yeah. in Colorado. And, and, and I literally, the third game of the season, will be in my living room screaming my lungs out of TV. Open your eyes, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Open your eyes. Come on, the Padres are two eight games up. Come on. My favorite Ugh. stat from last year was that Kyle Tucker of the Astros led baseball in triples with six, <laughs> and five of them happened at Coors Field. <laughs> oh, that's a great stat. That's an amazing played, stat. They played in Colorado like six games, and Kyle, triple hit, or Kyle Tucker had five triples there and only won the rest of the season. No, I think he so, just came up his nickname. He's Kyle, Kyle Triple. triple. Yes. Yeah, only in Colorado, though. Everywhere else, he's Kyle Double. Everywhere else, or in Colorado, he's Kyle Triple. Um, so, yeah, I look forward to Trevor Bauer getting rocked on a regular basis. We will fully ignore when he takes uh, no-hitters into the seventh inning. 
Those will never be a part of the press box. Uh, I never thought, never hold on. I never thought after this many years rooting for this team, this is the year coming off a World Series title and being overwhelming favorites. I'm looking forward to least just because of you two. <laughs> like, I can't even, be, I can't even, I can't even like look forward to what should be an incredible season. You don't enjoy it anyway. Yeah. Zed. Just watch it. <laughs> watch it. <laughs> you know, we were talking. I was at the book thinking of you the other day when Todd Dewey and I were watching college basketball and some guy in Ohio State I'm interviewing and, and they're lose. They're about to lose. I go, don't you want to watch it? He goes, I'm not watching that. I'm not watching that. Just tell me what happens. And, and, and I think, my God, this is like this guy with me with the Dodgers. And uh, they lose, and he, like, looks at me and thanks me and walks off. He never saw Ohio State lose in the end. And I'm talking to Dewey about it. And Dewey goes, well, what idiot doesn't watch his team play? And I'm like, well, me. He goes, what are you talking about? I, I can't watch the Dodgers. Like, why? There's 160-something games. One game's not going to mean everything. I go, you haven't obviously met me, Dewey. Um, first night, I'll be screaming at the television if they're losing. Poor Ed Graney and his Dodger oh, watching habits. The f- horrible. I can't wait. I can't wait. You know what? I've, I, have you? Have either of you guys ever watched the series Lost? Uh, no. No. Okay. Jared? No. My kid got me into it seven seasons. I told him, let's hold on here until the season starts so I can do something and I don't have to watch the games. Oh, you're waiting until Dodger games <laughs> are on? Yes. Oh, my God. I- you're planning out how to not watch the <laughs> yes, Dodgers. Yes, I'm, oh, I'm coming up brutal. with TV series throughout the whole year that I can watch, so I don't have to watch any games. You should look up one. <laughs> it's called Law and Order. It was it ran oh. for a while. Jimmy Smith's, come on. I don't watch TV, so I can watch sports and the Astros play every damn day of the year. Ed is intentionally avoiding watching the yes. Dodgers by watching yes. TV shows. Yes. God, I hate you sometimes. Like, it's a big what difference. It's a big difference. You've got you're the fan of the best team in baseball, and you're afraid <laughs> to watch them. They're going to 120 games. <laughs>